To speak and to speak well are two things. A fool may talk, but a wise man speaks. That is a quote by Ben Johnson. Welcome to Trina Talk. This is the podcast where guests share their stories of pursuing their passions, living a fulfilled life, and empowering others. Each week, I talk with inspiring leaders, business owners, and people with amazing stories from around the world in unscripted conversations as they share their successes and failures. This podcast is all about empowering you to keep striving in your personal and professional life. I am your host, Trina L. Martin. Welcome to episode 145. The topic of this week's episode is Speak to Impact. My guest this week is Peter George. Peter believes that everyone should be able to confidently share their knowledge and experience. As a public speaking coach and trainer, he specializes in helping executives, attorneys, entrepreneurs, and professional speakers be calm, confident, and credible every time they speak in public whether they're presenting in meetings, appearing in court, or speaking on stage. Throughout his childhood, Peter dealt with a lisp and a stutter. Consequently, he grew up shy and introverted, avoiding communicating with others as much as possible. When he got into the business world, he quickly realized that his lack of presentation skills kept him at a disadvantage. After seeking help, he now credits his public speaking coaches for much of his business success. Hi, Peter. Welcome to Trina Talk. Hi, Trina. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to talk with you. And I'm very excited to speak with you because what you do is something I do, which I speak, but you actually coach and train people on speaking. I do. So I am very interested to hear uh, how all that came about. But here on Trina Talk, how I usually start to show is I always ask people, Tell us who you are and how you come to be the Peter that you are today. (laughs) As a coach or just in general? Just in general. Just in general? Well, I'm from Rhode Island. I've spent the vast majority of my life here. Anytime I moved away, which I did occasionally, I would always come back to Rhode Island because I just love it here in New England and the four seasons and the like. And uh, I grew up with a lisp and a stutter as a small child. When you grow up in a city, even back then, with a lisp and a stutter and you're nine years old, you get, well, you have the opportunity to be picked on. So I did two things very well. One was I shut my mouth, even in school, I wouldn't answer much. And I became very proficient in sports. And because if you were good in sports, you didn't get picked on. So I grew up to be very shy and introverted. And it took me a while to, I'm still fairly both shy and introverted, but I have a different business persona where I'm outgoing and no one believes I'm introverted or the like. And uh, that really sums it up. I'm a very private person personally, but a very outgoing person business-wise. Mm-hmm. It makes any sense whatsoever. It does. And it, it makes good sense to me because I'm, I'm the same. I'm an introverted person. No one ever think because I do this podcast, I do public speaking, but I've actually worked very hard at being 
that public persona. And when I get home, it's like, I totally, I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to be quiet and relax. And so I get it. I understand. So um, totally get it. But so as a man who grew up as a child with a list and a stutter, how did you come to be a speaking coach? <laughs> Ironic, isn't it? <laughs> when I went into the business world, it didn't take me long to realize how important that was. And I was horrible at it because I spent my life avoiding it. But what I did find out when I went to seek help, first of all, I tried it on my own. I'll read books. I'll do this. I'll do that. And it, I got nowhere fast. And I finally went and got help. And when I got help, I learned that I had been studying communications all my life, just on the flip side of the coin. I was studying how I could avoid it, but I was still looking at it. So a lot of things didn't come naturally per se, but I picked up on them very quickly. And I realized almost immediately what that was doing for my business career, both when I worked for a major corporation and then when I left that corporation and went out on my own. When I went out on my own, I started getting asked to speak because my business was very successful. So people would say, could you come speak here? Come speak there. And I just worked at it and worked at it and worked at it and became pretty good at it. Still working, still training, still learning. And during that time, other people would say, I like how you did this. Could you help me with that? And one of the things I found was I absolutely loved doing that. So when I sold my company in 2005, it's like, well, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And helping people be more effective in communicating because I loved it. I said, well, this is what I'll do. So nowhere along that line did I ever sit down and go, wow, this is odd for me to be doing this. Might have crossed my mind every now and then, but it didn't, it didn't dissuade me in any way. Wow. Interesting. Now, you were in just the regular uh, work environment before you got your own business, correct? Yes. What did you do? I worked for Sony. Okay. So were you like marketing or yep. sales or okay? Exactly. So, yeah. So you had to really learn how to communicate because that is like the ultimate communication position is marketing and <laughs> all of that. So that's, that's really amazing. And it's funny because, um, it, you know, James Earl Jones, right? The oh yeah. Speaker. The great voice of our generation. Yes. And he's a stutterer. Did you know mm -hmm. that? And oh, I have a whole list of them. Wow. It's so amazing. Um, because you would never think that. And I, I was listening to him years ago say how every morning he has to do like certain exercises to really get himself warmed up and going. And then you hear this, you know, just such a beautiful voice um, once he gets started. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. But you said, you know, you, you got into the business world. You learned that communication is key. And I like you kind of same thing. Um, got into business, excelled went into the military, became an officer, had to speak, had to speak in front of admirals and generals and things like that. So I learned that, okay, this, I have to be good at it. But I also, I grew up as a very shy and introverted child. And I, I think 
growing up, I was in middle school and I had the principal select me to be the keynote speaker. And I don't know why she did that. I have no idea. And I think maybe because I was the shy girl and she figured, oh, I'll pick her. But at that moment, I I realized that that's what I was meant to do because it it fueled me. It gave me energy. You know, I, I was scared for a little while, but then it was like I got my role. How when you're training people, because most people don't like public speaking. No. Who are you training? Are you training people like me who are speakers and want to get better? Or are you training people that come to you and say, you know what? Oh my God, I got to do a presentation or I got to do this. And I'm terrified. Who are your clients? It's a little bit of both. I have professional speakers, some who are ex-athletes, some who wanted to leave their job or supplement their job by becoming professional speakers. And I help them up their game and look at it maybe a little differently than they had. And then there are the executives and attorneys who know to reach the the levels that they want to in their career, that they're going to have to be more effective communicators. So it's both. And though each of those target audiences differ a little in their approach, it's the same principles along the way. Because public speaking is about communicating. And when I say that, I don't mean talking. We've been talking since we were 16 months old. But everybody thinks, well, if I know what I'm talking about and I have the guts to do it, well, I'm good. No, that's just talking. Communicating is getting people to want to willingly open their mind for what you have to share. And then you know how you know how you knowing how to keep that mind open throughout the entire engagement. So they do take it in because many of us can get them to open their mind but they can snap it shut just as quickly. Mm, what, I love that. What I teach all my clients, no matter what their profession is, it's all about the audience. And we get up there thinking it's about us. They're here to see me, uh, whatever it might be. They're here to listen to what I have t- to share. Maybe, maybe not. But it's about them. And for those who don't like public speaking, those who are nervous about it, Take the onus off off yourself. We put so much pressure on ourselves. What will they think of me? What if I make a mistake? What if I forget what I'm going to say? What if I, 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 me, me, me? We put all that pressure on themselves. What if they don't like me? What if they don't want to listen to me after the first three minutes? And I say, well, let's put you in the audience. When you're in the audience, how often do you go in there and say, I hope this person's horrible? I'm not going to like what they have to say. I'm not going to. We don't do that. Even if it's just sheer self-preservation, we want people to be good. And so why do we all of a sudden, when we're speaking, put the focus on us and think that audiences are going to think that about us? Take it off of yourself and focus on them. What do they want and need to know? And if you can provide that in an engaging manner, you're golden. It's all set. So why do we do that? Why do we go in and think it's all about us? Because we're not used to it. And I don't, no one's, af- I don't believe anybody's afraid of public speaking. I believe everybody, everybody in the world gets nervous. I'm a true believer of Mark Twain's quote. There are two types of speakers, those who are nervous and those who are liars. Tony Robbins, 
one of the highest paid public speakers of our time, does various things before he goes out and speaks to turn his nervous energy into positive energy. I pace back and forth where I, I am, not on stage, but behind the stage. Give me six feet. That's all I need. I'll go back and forth in that six feet. That's fine with me. But that gets my nervous energy into positive energy. So I don't believe anybody's nervous about public speaking. I think we're nervous about what people are going, how people are going to judge us. And if we get around that, they're not going to judge us per se. We do and we don't, public speakers. But you went to school. We talked about you being up at the, the Naval College and all. You went to school. I, I don't think you went into any class ever and said, I hope this professor sucks for the next three, three months. No. No, one, no kid ever has. <laughs> no. We want that professor, that teacher, that instructor to be informative, entertaining. We don't want them to be dry. We want good speakers. We pull for good speakers. And Trina, I, you, you've been there, I'm sure, where someone forgets a word or just gets lost a little bit and you lean in and you almost want to pull the words out of their mouths. Yeah. We're really truthfully pulling for public speakers, yet we get it in our heads that they're going to sit there and every single one of them is going to judge us. Mm. And that's tough to overcome. That's real tough to overcome. Oh, it is. Yeah. I, I haven't figured out how to do it. I if, agree. If you put yourself that way. You're, you're you've lost you haven't played right. the game yet and you've lost right no i i agree I, I, it's the same thing and i have to tell myself the same thing like okay it's not about me it's about them this is what they want to know but then you still subconsciously you do have that oh my god you know because you know me being a female i'm like oh god i hope i don't fall coming on stage or you know something like that you're like ooh, you know i just want it to go well and once and once you get out there and you see that they are engaged, for me, that makes it that much better. That makes me start to calm down. Yeah. Now, when you're coaching and training people, like we're talking about being engaged, how do you tell them to engage the audience? Because it is, it's communication is more than just going up there talking. You know, you don't want to listen to, you know, Charlie Brown's teacher, the wah, 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 you know, you know. So how <laughs> Exactly. How do you tell people to keep the audience engaged? There are different techniques to do it right off the bat. First of all, you don't memorize your presentation, but you do memorize certain aspects of it. You memorize the opening and you do that for a couple of reasons. I'll get to those. You remember the conclusion, because if you sat down and said, this is who I'm talking to, these are their want, wants and needs. And I'm going to provide that for this reason. Well, that conclusion has to meet that reason. Otherwise, you just spoke all this time for, for nothing. Mm -hmm. And you have to remember the points you want to make. But you don't have to remember the exact words for those points. Every time you say them, they come out somewhat differently. If you took any other time I've been a guest on a podcast, I probably said the same things or very close to the same things. They wouldn't be verbatim. Not even close. So it's the same points made different words. So you don't memorize all the words, just the points, the opening. However, just like the conclusion, you memorize the opening, which is only a line or two. It's not hard, but like you said, when you get out there and you you're into it, all of a sudden it becomes somewhat easier to be there and to share information and, and help people. 
So if you know you're opening, you're not walking out on that stage or standing up in that conference room and walking to a point where you're going to speak saying, oh my God, what am I going to say? Because then your journal is now just flying. If you know what you're going to say, you get up there and say it. Now you're into it and you've hooked them. And how do you hook them? There's different techniques. It could be a, a startling statistic. And if it's a stat, make sure it's startling to them. Yeah. A lot of times we come across and we go, oh, that's awesome. Means nothing to them. <laughs> so same thing with a quote. Sometimes people start with a quote that I might love a quote. If you think you can or you can't, you're right. Henry Ford. I might start that way. But if I'm talking about something else that has nothing to do with deciding you can or you can't, that means nothing. So all these things obviously have to be in line with what you're saying. That's another way to do it. But my favorite way, some people come right out and tell a story. But even before that, a question. Because anytime you ask a person a question, you've engaged their mind. Even if they can't open their mouths, and even if it's a rhetorical question, they will answer you in their minds. So yeah. that's a great way to get them engaged. And now I often combine two. I'll ask the question to get them engaged, and then I lead that right into a story with mm -hmm. even something as simple as, well, you should have been there when. Mm-hmm. You know, or come back with me to 1966, my first day of third grade, mm -hmm. and they'll go. Right. They're right there on that stage with you in 1966. So those are great ways to get people engaged. But again, once you get them engaged, you have to keep them engaged. Right. Because it's very easy for them to whip out the phone or daydream. Yeah. Yeah. And that was my next question. And once you do, and you look out into the audience and you do, and you see the, the phones and, and I, and I get it. Everyone has a phone now and you will see some here and there, but if you see people like sleeping and, you know, phones, how do you bring them back? If, it, <laughs> if it's the majority of people, <laughs> I have to think real quickly, where did I lose them? What went wrong? You know, it's, it almost becomes, is this mic on? <laughs> but aside of that, if it's just a few, and this is much easier said than done, you have to ignore it. Yeah. You can't risk what you've deemed as a solid presentation that is resonating with the vast majority of people. You can't risk losing that in trying to go connect with a couple of people who may don't even maybe not even want to be connected. And that's something we fall into. And I try to coach my clients and other people might agree. Other people might disagree, but you can't expect that everybody there listening to you wants to be there or wants to learn from you. And I'll give you an example. I'm an Eric Clapton fanatic, been to, I think 29 of his concerts. And most of the time I've been to con his concerts with my friends. Every once in a while, my friends have conflicting dates or whatever it might be and can't go. And I'll say to my wife who, who likes his music, but doesn't really want to spend that type of money and go sit for three hours listening to it. I'll say, will you go? You can't get anybody else to go. No, no one else can make that date or travel to New York, whatever it might be. All right, I'll go. So I know right there, there might be 18,009 people cheering for him. And there's one person going, 
Ah. (laughs) So we get into this thought that everybody wants to listen to us. The problem is, have you ever had a toothache or a cavity that needed to be filled and you go, oh, yep, still hurts. Mm-hmm. A few hours later, yep, still hurts. I'll be glad when I get to the dentist. We do that all the way to the dentist. Yep, still hurts. We, we tend to fixate on things like that. And we mm-hmm. fixate on the same thing in the audience. We see that glow of the phone. And instead of looking at those people who are nodding their heads and smiling and leaning in and obviously engaged with you, what do we do? We fixate on that phone. We'll talk to someone else and we'll go, yep, still on the phone. We'll go around. Yep, still on the. (laughs) (laughs) You can't do that. You will. (laughs) You can't let it bother you. You know, I laugh because, of course, I've been there. That's had, that has happened. And I, I consciously, you know, in my mind and tell myself, ignore that person, just act like that person is not there and, and just keep going because you do, you kind of go back, like what are you do it, you know, oh, you know, isn't this important? But I like what you said that everyone may not want to be there. And I think we just assume that because they're in the room, they want to be there and they want to hear us. And that may not be the case. They may have been made to go or had no other alternative, whatever. Um, so that's a great point to make. And for people to really understand that, that, okay, it's nothing personal. Maybe they just don't want to be there. You know, you know, it's don't not wanna, that yeah. you're not saying, you know, anything that's good. It's just, yeah, maybe they just don't want to be there. Might have had a f- fight with their spouse and they're on the phone with their spouse. The spouse or significant other might have. Uh, texted them saying one of the kids is doing this and you don't know, you don't know what's going on in their head. So why have it? The first place that we go is I've lost them. And again, you lose the whole audience. You got to think real quickly why and how you get out of that and reconnect with them. But a few people, a small percentage that's to be expected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's hard, but you have to, you have to do it. Now, in your coaching clients, how long, let's just say the person who is just terrified to speak. I have a friend who she just is terrified to speak in front of people. How how long does it take you to work on someone like that? And how um, how have they progressed after you've helped them? Well, I'll, t- I'll take you to the worst case scenario. There are some people who are clinically afraid. I can't help them. I'm not qualified to help them. I don't want to. I want to see them helped, but I don't want to have them waste their time with me. Mm-hmm. They need to go see someone who's trained as a doctor in one way or another to, to help them. Those who aren't clinically afraid, it, it varies. It's how soon they can wrap their mind around the fact that it's built in us. It is built in us from evolution's standpoint that we are afraid of a whole bunch of eyes looking at us. There's a reason for that, to to stay alive back in the so-called caveman days. If if your whole tribe was looking at you, they weren't there to sing you happy birthday. (laughs) Your life expectancy was short. So, and, and for other reasons, wild animals, bunch of wild animals, eyes looking at us, that's evolution's sake. And that's one of the reasons we get scared in that primitive part of our brain, the emotional side. 
With that said, it's getting them to realize that they're not afraid, like I said, of public speaking. They're afraid of being judged. And when we can delve into that and, and reasonably figure out that that's what they're afraid of, now it's just working on that emotion and getting there. But they also have to realize this. The same feeling that happens to our body. You've been there. Let me see. You're, tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> and I've known you for a whole 18 minutes now. Tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, your heart started pounding. You got sweating. Yep. Your hands and knees started to shake a little bit. Your blood pressure went up. Mm -hmm. All these things happened. You became keenly aware of everything around you, including that one hair that wouldn't stay behind your ear. And you constantly did this. Right? Yeah. People touch their nose when they're nervous yeah. because they can feel the blood vessels change in their nose. And they constantly touch their nose when they're nervous. All these things happen to us. Now look at someone who's excited. What happens to them? Their blood pressure goes up. Their heart starts to pound. They get sweaty. They become keenly aware of their surroundings in themselves. It's the very same symptoms. Watch any football player before being interviewed on the sideline just before the Super Bowl. To a man, what do they say year after year? You can go back 50 years or last year. What do they say? I'm nervous. It's a big game, but you know what? After that first hit, it's just like any other game. Mm -hmm. They're going through the exact same thing, but they understand that it's their excitement, mm -hmm. not their fear. And that we have to understand. Sometimes that happens quickly, and sometimes it takes a little longer. I'm working with a client now where it's taking a little longer. She's a fantastic presenter. She's just still having difficulty getting it in her mind that nothing bad's going to happen. Mm. Here's what I suggest to your listeners if they're nervous. And your friend, draw a line down a piece of paper. And I want her to put on one side all the things that could happen to her. <laughs> and no, death is not one of them <laughs> in public. You know, we're talking about standing up and speaking to other people. Even if she wants to put that, usually the worst that could happen, I get embarrassed. Mm -hmm. I haven't thought about that in a second, too. On the right-hand side of the paper, put all the things that could come of it that would be good. Greater placement in the community, job growth, leadership growth, whatever it might be, and start comparing those two. Now we're talking about logic and logic wanes real quickly when it comes to emotions. Mm -hmm. But if you start there and build on that and get to the emotional side of truly, who could you help? Could you help others in the community? Could you help others at work? Could you help yourself? Could you help your family? That logic starts turning into emotion. And once they have that, it gets to my favorite part of helping people in this way. I see something go off. It's a light over their head. When I know they just reached a level of confidence, even if they weren't af nerve afraid of public speaking, but they reached a level of confidence they never thought they'd ever reach. Mm -hmm. That permeates all aspects of their lives. So I may never see them again after working with them, especially the people outside of my region that I work on, virtual work with virtually. I may never see them again. 
but I'll know I made a difference as soon as I see that light go, go off. That'll make wow. a difference in their entire lives and, and the people around them at work. And at wow. Wow. That is, uh, yeah, it's amazing. And, and I want people to know that communication is key and you can get out there and speak in front of people. It's not being sent to the gallows. <laughs> it's like, no. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to use that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not. And it's so, you know, and it's funny because I have a speaking coach. Um, You may have heard of her, Lisa Nichols. And, and you know, it's oh, yeah. funny uh, because, you know, she's like, you know, get in there. Same thing you're saying. Keep them engaged. Tell a story. Um, and just, yeah, you, you want to keep them, keep them engaged and, you know, you got one bad day. Okay, fine. That's not the end of life. Um, but so many people do, they just, yeah, they take it and just, you know, say, oh, this is not for me and this is over. Right. Um, when I said I had, uh, when I was talking about left and right sides of the paper, and on the left side, what's the worst that could happen? I said, and I have a thought on that. When we get embarrassed, let's face it, they become favorite stories later in life. Yeah. yeah. They do. When we make a mistake, when it seemed like the world was going to end in a, in a not truly drastic way, mm-hmm. those become our best stories. When someone asks me about a story about public speaking for myself, Mm-hmm. I never tell the stories of I went out and nailed it and everybody was like, this is great. I took this home and I have this takeaway and I'm going to go do this. That's as boring as can be. But if I can come up with, I was so prepared and I went out and fell on the way out or I never opened with a joke, but this time I did, which was unfortunately a very <laughs> true story. And I decided at the last second before I got to the microphone to open with a story that just a joke that just bombed oh. in front of 750 people just absolutely bombed. It's one of my favorite stories. So and no one wants to fail, but yeah, they are good stories. I'm glad you brought that up. So when you do do something like that, that's embarrassing. How do you recover? You know, cause most people will be like the de- deer in the head, like, Oh my God, what, what do I do? How do you recover from something like that? Like your instance, how do you, you know, you, tell a joke and nobody laughs. What do you do <laughs> to get yourself back going in the game and get everybody else back engaged? Well, I tell most of my clients, don't tell jokes. <laughs> Unless you're a <laughs> professional comedian, don't tell jokes because even if we remember the punchline, most of us, our timing isn't all that good. And that's why our jokes fail. And then you put the nerves into it. Your timing's going to be even further off. But in this particular instance where I, Trina, you know, when they say you could hear a pin drop, yep. that's what it was. There wasn't an, ah, oh, or can you believe he said that <laughs> there was, I can't understand how 750 people could be this quiet. You wouldn't be that 750 people wouldn't be this quiet in a cathedral. Oh my goodness. And what I did was what I tell my clients to do when they forget something or they just want to do it for drama, or if they have to take a peek at the notes over on the lectern. Just walk back to your water, take a sip, <laughs> and think, it can only get better from here. And that's exactly what I thought. I said, I, I've, I've got 50 minutes left. 
can only get better. So first of all, yeah, don't open, don't, don't tell jokes. Humor is different. You're walking out and you fall, you know, say something. Everybody saw it and they're nervous for you. Get up and say something, laugh about it. Most of the things we do, we can laugh about. And they'll laugh with us, not at us. Yeah. You know, so, you know, every, every speaker I know, male speaker I know, especially, last thing he does before he walks out on stage, checks his zipper for the ninth time. Every single time. And you know, it's, if you're on stage enough, you know what's going to happen to you? <laughs> you're going to walk out with your zipper down. And if you stand there and try to ignore it when you realize it, you can't. you got to make a joke about it. Oh my goodness. (laughs) You know, so it's, again, I'm not saying to be haphazard because I don't believe that at all, but I do believe we have to be in the moment. And that sometimes means uh, discussing what just happened. Yeah. Yeah. You make a joke and you move on. And Mm -mm. I also think that's a great way to endear the audience to you and you to the audience. When you have that, you just broke that fourth wall, as they would call it in the theater. Yeah. You just broke that, and you're talking to the audience in that way. Now you're a human being. You're not a speaker. Right. Right. Exactly. No, I totally agree. Man, it's, I love talking to you. It's, just, it's so funny because I know everything you're saying. I'm thinking, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Been <laughs> there, done that. <laughs> and, and if you do it enough, it all happens. I, I've spoken where a fire alarm went off twice in a hotel we had to evacuate and i came back it was right at the beginning i started speaking again 10 minutes later it went off again everybody evacuated the hotel and we came again and i had about six minutes to wrap up and i know i normally say when i go to q a something like based on what you just heard what questions do you have and i don't do that at the end it's prior to the conclusion but with six minutes left i i literally got up there and said Based on that, not having heard anything, what questions do you have? <laughs> and for the last five or six minutes, we had a good time. And then I just concluded the way I was going to a little, a little change to it, but yeah. Wow. Okay. Love it. Love it. Love it. Are you ready for the questions? Yeah. Okay. Who or what motivates you? Who or what motivates me? Uh, The what is, uh, I have one for each of those. The what is something inside of me that I have no clue what that is. It's probably I'm one of the more stubborn individuals that I've ever met. So if I hit an obstacle, I try to go around it or over it. And if I can't, I'll find a way to go through it. And that's it. The who is easy. My best friend who happens to be my wife of 31 years. She is a wonderful person. She's probably in the top three business people I've ever met. And we're extremely, like I said, we're best friends, but we're extremely competitive, extremely competitive. So out of the, I want to hold up my share of the bargain in this marriage, in this household, that's part of the motivation. And the other is wanting to beat her this quarter in profit margin or something like that. So or new or number of new clients, whatever it might be. But yeah. <laughs> what demotivates you? <sighs> what de- demotivates me? 
Boy, I don't want to put it that way. Um, <laughs> I was going to say stubborn people like me. Uh, people who don't want to see other people succeed. It doesn't demotivate me particularly because I really don't get demotivated, but it, it, it frustrates me. Mm. And I can't control their lives, but I'm just like, why me failing or, or anybody else failing? How is that making your life any better? And I just don't understand that. And again, I don't get demotivated. I just, that frustrates me. It's like, help people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, my, if I can back up just a second, Trina, the other thing that probably motivates me is my father was a firefighter here in Providence, Rhode Island, and he was well-respected and uh, up on the wall is one of his fire helmets. And he helped people for 32 years on that fire department. I actually wanted to be a firefighter like him. He knew that wasn't for me. And so the way he helped people by saving lives and saving property, this is the way I help people. This, my dad is one of my big inspirations, even though he's been gone more than 30 years. Wow. Touching. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked out for your good? Because of my lisp and my stutter, I was told I'd never go anywhere. Wow. And, uh, and for a while they were, well, I was always a good student. So uh, I, as long as I didn't have to talk in class and I refused to talk in class. But I did find out if I talked about things I liked, if I talked about my feelings, my real true feelings, I would stutter. Just like the singers who can sing without ever stuttering. And then once they start talking, their stutters right there. I would stutter if I talked about my true feelings. But if I talked about music or sports, and as I got older, business, I don't really stutter that much. But the moment I go back, if I, if I, like, if I really started to talk about my dad and what he means to me after all these years that he's been gone, it, it, would, it would start to creep into the, the conversation. So uh, that's the other thing I can't understand. I was talking to someone else about this yesterday. Why people like teachers and other people, parents as well, but the teachers sign up for the job to motivate kids. Yet they pick out kids or they say it to all of them, I don't know, and demotivate them. And isn't that a shame? Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Because I am a strong believer that if, if you're born in this country, you can become the president. Not born in this country, you can come here and accomplish anything you want. Mm -hmm. But not if people are demotivating you. It's really tough. Yeah, exactly. What is your fear? My, <laughs> my fear is dying, but not for the reason most people would think. My okay. fear of dying is because I want to see what technology would be like a hundred years from now, 200 years from now. So, uh, so that's, that's, so it's a very selfish reason. I'm just curious. Well, that, that's different. <laughs> that's my, that's my biggest fear. I don't have too many other fears. Every once in a while that I'm not going to accomplish something I want to accomplish, but I'm writing a book and I do have, you know, now that you bring it up, I do have that fear that, uh, either I won't finish it. And I used to own a publishing company, so I know what goes into it. Okay. And yeah, sometimes I fear that I either won't finish it 
or it won't be as good as I had planned for it to be. Mm. Yeah. And then I'll want to die. <laughs> no, you <laughs> <laughs> no, you won't. You'll get over it. <laughs> Is there a time when you wish you had done something that you didn't? Time that it... Yeah, that's a long, long list. Mm-hmm. They ha- they haven't made enough lined paper yet for that. <laughs> um, trying to think of what the top would be. Asking for help. I grew up watching this strong firefighter who I thought was completely independent, but I never saw behind the curtain where he was man enough, strong enough, adult enough to ask others for help. So I grew up thinking I could be that man on an island. I just, I always said, give, give me a basset hound and an island and I'm happy. And I got a little older and found, wow, that's not the way it works. But I was still reluctant to ask for help. And I still, to this day, have a difficult time asking for help for anything. And I'll pay people to help me, but I have a hard time asking for help. And if I could go back and change one thing in my life, and I don't regret much, that would probably be it. Hmm. Interesting. Is there a time you wish you had not done something? Yeah. That's probably any time I chose to <sighs> chose to hurt someone in some way say something that I knew was going to hurt them more. Uh, yeah. Those would be my big, that would be my biggest regret is anytime I, I knew I was going to hurt someone still did it. Mm. What is your definition of success? Being happy. That's it. I don't think it's money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is the old saying money can't buy happiness cost is the old saying, but it's a heck of a down payment. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> You know, <laughs> you can get more things with it, including healthcare and the like. I don't think it's money. I, I don't think it's how you live, you know, where you live, that type thing. I just think it's being happy with yourself. And if that includes the people around you, like I'll, I'll be anywhere with my wife. You could put me anywhere, any city, any town, any, anywhere. With, as long as I'm with my wife, I'll be a happy camper. But it has to be within you first because I can't help her be happy till I'm happy and vice versa. So true. Love that. How do you recharge? Watching sports. I love to, my wife goes, <clears throat> my wife gets up early. She goes to bed at nine o'clock and I don't care if it's the finals for the tiddlywinks competition. I'll watch it after nine o'clock. And I'll decompress. It could be football. It could be hockey. It could be baseball. It could be anything where there's this competition. And I like to watch that because I I do decompress that way. And that's my alone time. And then I usually play the guitar. I go to bed at two. She goes to bed at nine. I go to bed at two. And uh, generally about midnight, I pick up my guitar. Hmm. I play for an hour or two. Wow. What are you awesome at? Not answering these questions. (laughs) (laughs) what am i awesome at i think just helping people 
you know, even in, when we started the publishing company, of which I knew nothing about, and I decided one day to start a publishing company, uh, we helped people. We helped the advertisers. A lot of advertisers, especially smaller advertisers, their, their ads were lousy. And I didn't want to take their money and knowing they weren't going to get anything out of it. So we would redo their ads and help them do that. And what I do for a living, I'm helping people. And again, I don't care if they uh, get 100% of what they're looking for. I hope they get 98, 97, 99. But if they can get that confidence, then I've made a difference. Mm. And I think I'm pretty good at it. What legacy do you want to leave? that I never grew up. Most people who say that I help people and like, I think things like that. I I've never grown up. I'm my wife looks at me and says, someday I'm going to marry an adult. <laughs> like not, you didn't this time. So good luck on the next one. But uh, yeah, I just never grew up. I just continue to have fun in life. That's the way to be. Give the listeners one motivational takeaway. My father said to me many, many years ago, and it wasn't original with him, of course, but I had never heard it. And I think I was in my early years of high school. He said, never forget, this is not a dress rehearsal. You don't get the opportunity to come back and do it again. So for your listeners, if they want to do something, they have it deep down in them. I don't care if they want to go swimming with great white sharks, jump out of a plane, go back to school start painting, be a better grandparent. I don't care what it is. Just do it. Simple as that, because you're not going to get another shot. Mm. Peter, tell the listeners how they can connect with you if they want to become a client. You said you have a, a book to be released. Talk, talk about that. Give us the whole nine yards. The book should be done as far as the writing and the editing process uh, starting at the end of October. I should hit that mark, which means it'll be out of the first of the year. And it's all about public speaking. And the working title at this point is right after my tagline, Become Confident Incredible. At the end of that, that would be the major, what you'd see in the major part of the book. And under that would be every time you speak in public. So become confident, incredible every time you speak in public. And so that should be out around the first of the year. It will be available on Amazon and the like, but also at my website, which is PeterGeorgePublicSpeaking.com. Not too tricky, is it? <laughs> but as literal as you can get, PeterGeorgePublicSpeaking.com. And they can get other information. They can go and download more than 50 free public speaking tips. They can listen to my podcast there. They can get information working with me there. And truthfully, if they just want to connect and say, I have this one little thing, I don't want to hire you. I just need an answer to it. Contact me. I'm happy to help Great. anybody in ways that I can. Great. And you, you said you have a podcast. Tell us a little bit about that before we go. Okay. Right back to literal. It's called <laughs> <laughs> Public Speaking with Peter George. Um, I'm, I'm big into SEO. <laughs> you're, you're consistent. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it's just that it's helping people with various aspects of public speaking, whether it's fear of public speaking, which is truly just a small portion of my business, but really uh, to use the word people use now upskilling, mm -hmm. upskilling, becoming a more effective speaker, whether that's on stage, if they want to truly be a, a speaker, motivational speaker, inspirational speaker, whatever it might be, 
or for someone in the business world who needs it to get promoted or a raise or a new position, whatever it may be. Mm. And one more question. So you're be calm, be confident, be credible. How do you become credible? Credible has a lot to do with how you're looking out for the other people, your audience and making it all about them. Mm. I think it's a shame metaphorically that we shine the spotlight on the speaker and put the audience in the dark because mm. it's the audience is supposed to be enlightened. Now, of course we can't put a speaker in the dark because the audience would have no one to connect with, but metaphorically we put them in the dark and that's wrong. So uh, just truthfully, I forgot, I forgot what that last question was when I went off on that, that tangent. How do you become credible? Oh, how do you become credible? If you show up, show up to do something well. You don't have to be perfect. You don't even have to do it well when you try. Mm -hmm. But here's what I mean by that. People show up in wing public speaking. Again, I've been speaking since I was 16 months old. Well, I've been singing since I was 24 months old, and I can't make a living that way. Mm -hmm. Nor will I ever go on stage and put anybody through that. Mm -hmm. I've been running since I was 30 months old. You won't see me in the Olympics this summer. I just missed. (laughs) Um, so don't show up and wing it. That's disrespectful. I'm asking you to come and spend, say an hour with me, Mm -hmm. yet I'm not going to prep it all. So I don't want to take time, but I want you to take your time. Totally disrespectful. And not only is it disrespectful to the audience, it's disrespectful to yourself because you won't perform and it is a performance. You won't perform the way you should. And that's unfortunate. So your credibility has a lot to do with preparation. Prepare, prepare, and prepare. What other part of your life would you wing? Mm. Most of us wouldn't. You wouldn't get behind the seat of a car for the first time at 16 years old and say, I'm going to drive across the country. Right. When you haven't driven around the block. You haven't even driven out of the driveway yet. Mm -hmm. So we, we don't wing things in life, but because we fear it or nervous or don't know how to prep for it, we often wing public speaking, and that's a great way to lose credibility. Yeah. So the way to gain it, prep. Great point. Great takeaway. Peter, I thank you for being on Trina Talk. It has been just wonderful talking with you and you sharing your insights. And hopefully someone out there who is like in need of a, a coach or who is just terrified. I'm going to tell my friend to listen to this episode of public speaking. They will be inspired to be calm, be confident, and be credible. Thanks so much for having me, Trina. And I'll tell you what, when we get off the air, I'll give you my phone number, although anybody can go to my website and get my phone number. So, but I'll give you my phone number. Have your friend call me. If you like Trina Talk Podcast, please don't forget to go out to iTunes and rate it five stars and leave a review. Also, who else in your life do you know that needs some motivation and inspiration in their life? Don't forget to share Trina Talk with them. I hope you have a great week. And remember, if you change your mindset, you can change your life. Keep striving because success is a journey, not a destination.